Amen. We're going to go ahead and dismiss the kids, the worship kids style, so you guys can go on ahead. And they pulled a quick one on us, so you pulled that one last song there. I wasn't paying attention. Right? It's audible out there. Right? But it is, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, it was cold outside this morning. I didn't even know it was cold outside. I walked out in the short sleeves, and it's like, I was like, ooh, goodness, it's cold out here. Um, but it, it's good that, that we're able to be in the house of the Lord, and we, we sure do got it warmed up in here. If you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3 as we continue to walk through the, the book of Exodus and be able to hear um, um, from the Lord. And today what we're going to talk about is being called by God. And I know that that is such a, a weird um, phrase called by God and, and, it's, and, it, and people have been confused about it for a long, long time. Um, and if you talk to someone as a preacher, that if you know a preacher in your family or me or, or anybody of that nature, and you ask them about the calling of God on their life, it's really difficult to explain. And the best way to explain how God calls you and how do you know you, that God calls you, and if you, hear, if you talk to a preacher, you, you probably heard it from him, you just know. It's one of those things that you don't question that, that you know that that's what God wants you to do and, and you've actually, uh, it's so clear that you know that you cannot do anything else. That's a calling that God has on, on your life. That happened to me 32 years ago when God called me um, and when I told people about my calling, like you sure you answered the right phone? You know, is are, are you are you positive of this? You know what I'm saying? Are, are you are you really are you completely positive? That's what happened. But what I want to show you today is this: being called to be called by God is to be chosen by God for a certain purpose. Um, and when you're aware of that call and you surrender to that call, you start living out God's purpose for you. The reason that you were were created. I, I was called to preach, and, and that's the job that God called me to do. Um, and I'm thankful for that. And I lean on that calling all the time. Um, Wednesday night, we just finished uh, um, going through the S Song of Solomon, and we talked about um, Wednesday night of how when a husband and a wife start that connection together, that they, the wife learns to lean on the husband. And, and we talked about uh, when the beginning of a relationship, um, when, the, when the wife leans on you, you, you kind of just sit there and, and, and you enjoy that connection. My, my um, uh, cousin, that he's passed away now, he was raised in my family like a brother to me. Um, and when we were little kids, he was six years older than me. And he had a Bronco, a Ford Bronco. I mean, I wish we still had that Ford Bronco. I'd sell it. I mean, for a lot of money right now. Um, but he didn't, when he, when he got him a girlfriend, he didn't want to drive that Ford Bronco. He wanted to borrow my dad's truck. And I was confused as a 10-year-old boy why he wouldn't want to drive his nice Bronco and he wanted to end up driving my dad's truck. And I figured it out. 
because the Bronco had captain seating. You know what I'm saying? Where there was a chair here, then a big space, and a chair. But my, my dad's pickup truck had a bench seating. And you know where his girlfriend sat? Right there. You know what I'm saying? And he didn't want her over there. He wanted her to wear right here beside him as close as possible. What happens is this. The closer you are to someone, the, the more you love someone, the closer you want to be to that person. Now, when you get married over after 30 years, you, you, you kind of enjoy. I, that's what I like about my truck because Emma sits way over there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wave at her every now and then. You're like, how are you doing over there? You know what I'm saying? But when we're romantic, I have a little thing I pull up, and she can scoot right over there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> when we have that feeling, you know what I'm saying? Not any other time of that nature. But we today, as the church, must learn to lean on Jesus. Listen, not just when we feel like it. Someone asked me the other day, uh, Wednesday, is God a crutch for you? Is your spiritual life a crutch that, that, that you use to help you get through life? And I answer that question, absolutely yes. I cannot even walk without God. I need him every single day. That's what I have to do. I have to lean on him constantly. So what I have learned in my own spiritual life, that I have to lean on the calling of God in my life. Because I pastor and I go through difficult sessions in my life, seasons in my life, and I get down and I get out and, and I try to fix things on my own and I learn that I can't do that and I have to stop and say, wait a minute, I'm not doing this on my own, but I'm leaning on God. So I have to look over at God and say, you're the one told me to do this. So since you're the one told me to do this, you're going to have to do this because I can't. So I lean on that calling that I have in my life, that calling to what God has put upon my life. Jonah tried. Um, he heard from God, but you know what he did? He refused. And he got on a boat and went the opposite direction. But you know the story. After a, a, a whale, uh, some time in the whale's belly, he ended up getting on a right boat and going back to Nineveh. And we see everyone in Nineveh did what? They repented. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15, um, it gives us a valuable piece of information. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him. Guess what? You had never needed to be introduced to God. I have never needed to be introduced to God. He has always known you, and he has always known me. He knows why he created me, and he knows why he created you. And there's a purpose in that, that we have all been given this purpose, this calling in our lives. Jonah was called by God but refused to surrender to that call, and instead he ran the other way. Every born-again believer has a calling on their life. In Ephesians chapter 2, in, in verse um, 10, the Bible tells us, and he's gone. <laughs> David just left the building. 
There he comes here. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know what that means? Every single one of us have a calling of God on our life. Every born-again believer has a purpose that they were created for, and you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We have a job to do. You were created. I was created. I was called to do that, that job. Moses here today, we're going to see, spent 40 years serving as a shepherd. And what I love about the story of Moses, it brings us up with something amazing. Moses was a shepherd for 40 years. And I want to show, draw your attention today. It is significant that God always calls people that are doing something. God is always going to call people out of something to something else. What I mean by that is this. If you're a young person here today that's looking for a job, a career, you know the best way to get the job that you want to get is to have a job. If you have a job and you're, look, and, and you're going to apply for another job, that person who, who reads that HR department, who reads your resume and sees that you are currently employed, you know what they're going to say? This person at least is able to do something that someone's going to give money for. They're doing something. They're, they're, they're working some way where they're, and they're going to look at you and say, you know what, since someone else is trusting them to do a job, then I might be able to trust them to do that job. Maybe that don't go your way. I'll try another way for some of you all else. Maybe if you're a young boy today and you got a sweet eye on a little girl, I can still use that expression in church. Um, you know the best way to get a girlfriend is to have a girlfriend? I woke everybody up. <laughs> the best way to get a girlfriend is to have a girlfriend. Because if you ain't got a girlfriend, the girl that you like looking at you is thinking, ain't nobody likes this one. <laughs> but you get a girlfriend, she don't have to look like I don't know who. And they're like, you know what? She likes him. If she likes him, I should like him. You know what I'm saying? That's just how it works. Trust the preacher. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's like eHarmony.com at work right here for you this morning. <laughs> but listen, God calls people that are, that are already doing something. We think for some reason God only calls people that are bored and sitting still and ain't got nothing to do. That, that, just, that aren't busy. That's not who God calls. God calls the most busiest people out there. He calls the most hardworking people out there. He calls all of us. That's who he calls. You know, and we look at the people that he have called. David was a shepherd, and God called him out of the shepherd to be a king. Elisha was plowing in the field, and God called him out from plowing in the field to be his prophet. Four of the apostles were fishing, and God called them out of that, that occupation of catching fish and turned them into the ones who would be fisher of what? Of men. And we see a tax collector during tax season. The busiest time of the year. Right? God calls him out of that tax season 
to do that which God has called him to do. And that's where we find ourselves today in the, in the Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1 through 10. And we're going to look at what Moses knows, what Moses he saw, and what Moses um, hears, and what Moses says. So those are the four points that we're going to try to find out today in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Verse 1 starts out this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he fled the flock to the back of the desert. He led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain, the mountain of God. So very first thing we're going to look in that verse and say, what did, what did Moses know? He was the, Jethro was his boss. He had him being a shepherd in the, in the, in the desert. Forty years, Moses had the best education the world could possibly offer. He was actually next, probably next in line to be the next pharaoh of Egypt. So he had all of the education. Um, he learned probably all the foreign languages of the people that, that were bordered Egypt. He, he learned all of the, of the works that you would have to have to know to lead a country. I mean, he was highly, highly educated. But then what happened? He, he lost his temper and he killed an Egyptian. And now he's on the run from the Egyptians and he finds himself in the, in the desert. And, and Jephro is allowing him to be the shepherd of his sheep. And for 40 years, he's a shepherd. Do you picture Moses maybe as an overqualified shepherd? Today, if you were going to fill out a resume to be a shepherd, how many foreign languages would you need to know to be a shepherd? What, what, kind, of, uh, what kind of master's degree, doctor degree in whatever you would need, what would you need to be a, be a shepherd? There's no prerequisite of requirements to be a shepherd. And here he has the best education in the world, and now he is a, a shepherd. The best education in the world, and you're stuck leading a bunch of sheep when you should be doing something great, like freeing your countrymen from bondage. But the only thing that he's doing is leading a few sheep around in the desert. Can you imagine that that was hard on Moses? Like, really? My whole life, this is how it's going to, this is what I'm going to end up doing? I had, I had all this training. I, I, I worry about my countrymen. I wanted to get them out of Egypt. I wanted to get them out. And here, the last 40 years, God's stuck me here in this desert, and I've done nothing. Nothing whatsoever. You know what happens to many of us born-again believers today? Is that we quit in the desert. We throw in a towel when God is preparing us in the desert. You're saying, you know what? I'm more important than this. I've worked harder than this. I deserve more than this. And why has he left me here in the desert? Man, there's no way. I quit. And they walk away. But what Moses, Moses knows, and what I hope you know today, that God has a time of preparation. 
Me and you cannot understand that time of preparation, but we know that God has a purpose for preparing us for a time that's coming. And wherever you may be, maybe in the desert, maybe somewhere else, God is getting you ready for what's coming down the road. He's preparing you for what he would have you to do really soon and whenever that may, that may come. But what happens, we get in a, in a place of, what a waste. Moses is 80 years old. What a waste. Man, I, I turned 50 this year, and I'm worried to death about that. I was always told 40 was bad. 40 didn't bother me. 50 is scary. That's a half of a century. You know what I'm saying? That's, a, that's, a lost, that's old. I remember talking about old people who were 50. And now I'm going to be one of them, you know. And, and, and it's just overwhelming. But here Moses is 80 years old, and he's yet to accomplish that, what he thought he was going to accomplish. And now he's stuck in the middle of the wilderness, and he's like, what a waste. Are you there this morning? What a waste. I thought I was going to be doing more. I thought I'd be farther down the road than this. I thought I'd be more powerful. I thought I'd, I'd be in a better spot where I'm at right now. Listen, no matter what you've been through, where you're going, God's with you right now. And he's bringing you exactly where he needs to be, where you need to be at the right time. Why did God leave Moses in the desert that long? Why did he allow the people of Israel to suffer that long? I'm going to give you a very profound answer, and I hope you remember this. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea why God chose to leave Moses in the desert for 40 years. And I have no idea why God did not liberate the, the, Egyptian, the Israelites from the Egyptians on a, on a quicker basis, on, on a, something more of a, of a timely manner. I have no idea. But what I know and what Moses knows and what you know is this, God had it under control the whole entire time. There was a reason, but we don't know what that was. But we can trust God and know that it was the best solution for the problem that is at hand. And right now, maybe, why has God got you where he's got you right now? I'd love to be able to give you this big old answer, but I don't know. But the answer is, but I can trust God. That it's right, exactly what me and you need and where we're supposed to be at this time. It all has a purpose. And what I do know and what Moses knows is that that God's in control of this situation in every situation. But what did Moses see? Look with me in verses 2 and 3 in that. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of a fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will not turn aside and see this great sight while the bush does not burn. So what, what, what did he see? He saw something that me and you have never seen before. I have seen tons of bushes burn in my life. Uh, you all, most of you all don't know, um, uh, but in front of the parsonage, there's um, about six, uh, it's about six, is that what it is? Um, uh, seagrass bushes. And um, they were my child, my children growing up, favorite thing in the whole entire world, those six bushes. Once a year, um, when Linda Pack complained the most that the seagrass was in her yard, that's when we knew it was time. 
um, that we would burn those bushes. And I'd call 911. Tim was the director of 911 at the time. And I'd say, we're getting ready to burn the bushes. So don't call, if someone calls 911, don't send the fire department. We, we've got it under control. And every time they will, thanks for calling, and we'll take care of it. And the boys, they loved it. They lit those bushes, and they, the flame would shoot 50 feet in the air. If you don't believe me, you've missed a great blessing of life. It was, it was, it was great. And every time we lit those bushes on fire, um, the fire department still came. And I called 911. I said, I called you to tell you that we were going to do them. Well, no one could believe that Louisa wasn't on fire. They saw fire from this, coming out of the top of the church. And I'm like, we told you. But listen, none of us have seen a bush burn that did not get consumed. Every bush that me and you have seen burn, all burnt up. It all consumed. But this bush was on fire. But it never was consumed. He saw something that he had never, ever seen in his life. Listen, when God calls you, it is not going to be something natural that you've seen before. But it's going to be something supernatural that you've never seen before in your life. Why? Because it's not a call from mom or dad. It's not a call from Bub or Sis. It's a call from God Almighty. And there's no way that it's going to be something that's normal to you, but it's going to be something that is abnormal. Not something natural, but something that's supernatural. And he's going to get our attention. And what I love about that, God can take an insignificant bush, ignite it, and use it for something amazing. I love that. But listen here. God can take an insignificant bush, ignite it, and it not burn out. It not get consumed. Ignite it and use it for something amazing. That is what he did with Moses. And that is what he's doing with me and with you. So, if you're paying attention this morning, you say this. Did you just now call me an insignificant bush? Is that what you just now called me? Moses was that weak bush, but God was that empowering fire that was in that bush. With God, Moses is going to be able to deliver God's people out of Egypt. With God... Moses is going to be able to accomplish that which God is calling him to do. That's why today the Bible teaches us with God, all things are possible. And today, because of God who has called us, working in us, we're able to accomplish that which he's called us, us to do. So that's what he saw. But what did he hear? And in verses 4 through 10 he gets to explain to us, Moses writes down exactly what he hears the Lord say. In verses 3, four, three through 10, this is what the Bible says. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, which the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, 
God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And listen to verse 10. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may be bring my people, the children of Israel, out, out of Egypt. What did Moses hear? He heard exactly what he needed to hear. He heard from the Lord our God. What do me and you need to hear today? I hear people telling me all the time, God's doing a new thing. God's saying something new. You know what? No, he's not. God has given us his holy word. And when we hear, read his word, what thus saith the Lord, we hear from God. And we hear exactly what we need to hear. In Romans chapter 10 in, in verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And we hear this today. We know what God's word is because we read it and it changes our lives. And what happens, we see in verse 5, is that God first starts out with Moses with a warning. And, and in verse 5, he warns Moses and he, and he says very simply, this, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place where you stand is holy, holy ground. The very first thing that God speaks to Moses is a warning about where he's standing and not to come any closer because he's on holy ground, to take off his sandals to be able to see that. What we need to be warned about today is that we're standing on holy ground. What God has given us is holy. What, God, what makes it holy is God. And what we have is a God who is holy. When Richard Wombrandt passed away on his deathbed, the last thing he said was this, he's more holier than we ever, ever thought. This world today does not recognize how holy God is. And he gave him warning, and after the warning that, that God gave, gives Moses, God identifies himself to Moses in, in verse in verse 6, he gives him the identification. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Why was Moses afraid to look upon God? The reason is God identified himself. And he had 
known scripts, been told, taught his whole entire life about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He has been taught about how holy God is and that no man can look upon God. So now when God identifies himself as the God, the Father, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he knows from past being able to be taught that what he is is he is among God Almighty and that he should not make eye, to eye contact with God. Let me share this with you today. If there is someone in your life that does not fear God, there's someone in your life that does not care about God or the things of God, please do not ridicule that person and give up on that person. Please do not just just walk away from that person. That person, the reason why they don't respect God, the reason why they don't fear God, the reason they don't love God is this, they don't know God. And what that person needs to know is about God. They need to know he's our father. They need to know he's the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They need to know that he's a God of mercy. They need to know that he's the God of this, his only begotten son that he sent to die on the cross for us. And whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. They need to know that he's the God of salvation. He's the God who is able to deliver us from our sins. People need to know who God is. And when they know who God is, they will will now listen to him how can someone listen to God and respect God and fear God if they don't know God don't expect them to do that but love them enough that you would be able to tell them about God when we do know God then we're going to listen to God and then after that in verse 7 God told him that he sees and has heard the suffering of his people. After God warned Moses that he's on holy ground, after God identified himself as I am God, the Father, listen to what he did. He told Moses that I have seen the problems of Israel. I have heard of their cries and I know of their difficulties you know what he's stopping to allow Moses to know that I've seen what you've seen more than you've seen I've heard more than you've ever heard I know what's going on you know what church I think me and you need to hear that today we think that the Lord does not know what's happening in our country our world He's seen it all. He's heard it all. And he knows of the sorrows. He knows of the pains. He knows of the hurts. And he knows. He knows. God told him that he sees and he's heard the suffering of his people. But what I love about that is in verse 8, God tells him that he's ready to deliver them out of Egypt into the promised land. Verse 8 says, so I've come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, Moses thought he was the only one who saw the problems in Israel. He thought he was the only one that heard the difficulties or God would have done something. But listen to what God's saying. Moses, not only... Do I see their problems? 
Not only do I hear their cries, but I've come down to deliver them. Deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And listen to what he's going to do. He's just not going to deliver them out of the hand of the, the Egyptians and drop them. But he's going to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and do what? And bring them up from the land to a good and large land. To a land, listen, flowing with milk and honey. Moses hears this standing in the middle of a desert beside of a burning bush. And he's thinking milk and honey flowing it would be much better than this place. There's more to it than this. But what I love about God, he just does not deliver, but he delivers us to the proper place that he's prepared for us. And what we see in, in verse 10 is the problem. Moses is on board. Have you ever just been on board before? You're, you're all in. You're, you're just ready to go. And he's like, all right, 80 years I've wanted this. My, I'm 80 years old, and finally God's going to deliver the, the, the people out of Egypt. And, and what he's going to do is take them into the, the Canaan land. And, man, there's going to be milk and honey's going to flow. That, I don't know what that looks like or how that's going to happen, but, man, that's cool. I'm lactose intolerant, and I'm still excited about milk flowing. You know what I'm saying? I'd be like, do you have an almond milk creek, Jesus? Um, one that, the, the, for me, on there, or however that way worked. But everybody, he's behind it. He's excited about it. The people are going to get delivered. They're, they're going to be put in a better place. But then verse 10 changes everything come now God speaking out of a burning bush come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt Moses is all on board until verse 10 He's all on board when it wasn't his responsibility, it was somebody else's responsibility. But now when God says, I'm going to have you go to Pharaoh and you bring my people out, you're like, eh, me? It's so much easier if someone else would do this and, and, and not, not me. Wednesday, um, we're starting a Bible study in the book of Isaiah. And listen, Isaiah chapter 6 says this in verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. If you go back to verse 3 in, in, um, in Exodus chapter 3, the Lord cries out, Moses, Moses. And Moses responds, here I am. Here I am. That's a good first response. Here I am. That means I'm available, I'm present. But guess what? All of us who went to school took role, right? 
They called your name, and you said what? Present, here, I, here I am. But guess how many of us answered the role, here I am, but you wasn't there, right? Hey, I, I'm present, but I'm not going to do a thing. I ain't paying attention. I'm just here for the, because mom and dad would have killed me if I didn't come. I'm here. But Moses said, here, here I am. But Isaiah took that good statement, here I am, and went into the second stage of that relationship with God. He said, here I am. Send me. I'll be the one to volunteer to go. I'll be the one. And I'm here, Moses said, here I am. But I have made a list. There's list people in this room today. So I know you guys, because some of you all have sent me your list. Uh, this is the list that I have um, for you that I love you so much. I don't even make lists for myself. I make for lists for everybody I know. And um, you like lists. But Moses said this, here I am, but I've made this list of excuses of why I can't do what you're asking me to do. He did not say, here I am, send me. Here I am. And here is my list of excuses why I can't do this. Why do we mention this on a Sunday morning? <laughs> uh, you know why we don't, why we mention that? Is because me and you are here. And God calls out your name, Moses, Moses, Chuck, Chuck. All of us today have the ability to say, here I am. We have that because we're here. But we also have a list of excuses of why we do not accept the calling of God on our lives. We all have made a list. And I've shared this before. But when I was uh, 18 years old, when God called me into the ministry, I, I was going to be an x-ray dude. Um, and I went from there to Bible college. And one of my first classes was uh, personal evangelism. And it is exactly what it sounds like, evangelism personally. And I went, my first thing, it was Clifford Marquardt was my teacher. Does anybody know Clifford Marquardt, South Point, Ohio? Looked like a little leprechaun. Um, He's like this tall, pointy ears. Um, he's in heaven, I can say that. Um, but he took me out on, um, he was a guest speaker, guest professor, and I got chosen to go with the guest professor on our on-job the training personal evangelism class. But even though Clifford was this tall, um, he, he um, knocked on doors like a state policeman knocks on doors. Is there any state policeman in the house or sheriff, deputy sheriffs or anything like that? I don't know if it's trained that way, but they don't knock like this. 
They all knock with an open hand, bam, 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 bam. And the whole entire house shakes when they do that. Some of you all know this, but I'm not going to tell you why you know this. Some warrants have been served in this building. You know what I'm saying? Uh, bam, 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 bam on there. He walks up the door and just state troopers it. Bam, 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 bam. And a lady comes to the door with her husband. And they tell us to hit the road jack and don't come back. That's the best Christian way of saying it. But they use words that I didn't even recognize. Um, they cussed us so bad. And we left. And we came to the next door, 18 years old. And he said, it's your turn. And I'm like, are you sure? Because really we didn't learn anything last time other than don't do this. Yeah. And I walked up to the door, and this is how I knocked on the door. And immediately I turned around and said, nobody's home. Like they were the quickest people in the universe. Like I was knocking on Flash Gordon's door, and he wasn't there yet. And he's like, no, they're home. And as soon as I turned around, this loud young girl started screaming, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. And she thought, I just graduated like three weeks ago. And she thought I was there to visit her. Not church-wise, you know what I'm saying? And she's like, come on in, man, I, what, what are you doing? Come in, come in. And then we came in the house, but Clifford came in the house. And she was like, who's the old man? And I'm like, I had to explain who the old man was and what was going on. And Clifford took over. He, he jumped right in there, and he led that young lady to the Lord. She got saved. And I got to watch it. And when I walked out of that house, me and God had a here I am moment. And I promised him it wasn't no more this, but it was this from now on. And that God had called me to move people from death to life. From the darkness to light. And because of him that day, having me out, I learned how to tell people about Jesus Christ and do that which I was called to do. And I've not looked back ever since. And I'm thankful for that. The, this world today has a need. And I don't know if you recognize that need or not. If you would, if someone asked you, what, what's this world's greatest need? What's Louisa's greatest need? What's Fort Gay's greatest need? I guarantee we'd get a lot of different answers. But God's word tells us that this world's greatest need is to be delivered. Is to be delivered from their sin, to be forgiven of their sin, and made right with God. They need delivered and me and you the church we know the one who is able to deliver them how do we know the one who is able to deliver them because he delivered us so we know him now we have the job 
to tell this whole world of what Jesus Christ has done. The Bible says in John chapter 5 and verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. God delivers people. That's what he does. He saves people. And today, me and you as a church, because we have been delivered, we can tell other people how they can be delivered by God. But the problem is, this generation thinks delivery means DoorDash. You know what the word delivery means? Yeah, that's when people bring your, to, to your house food. And, and that's weird that that's how it is. Um, but that's what it is. DoorDash has taken the whole entire delivery process and, and made it their own. But the other day, me and Tim was in the office, and DoorDash showed up in Louisa at First Baptist Church with a whole bunch of bags of Big Macs. And I can turn down a lot, but it's hard to turn down a bag of Big Macs. And they came in, and, and they, they said, here, we brought your DoorDash delivery. And they told us what it was. And I'm like, six Big Macs? I'm on board. <laughs> but the problem was this. We didn't order any food. And, and we told the guy, I said, I, 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 we didn't order anything. We we're not going to look a gift horse in the mouth or anything like that. But we didn't order this. And he's like, oh, yeah, you did. I'm like, I, I have some mental problems, but... Um, but I know I didn't order Big Macs. I wouldn't know how to do it. And he's like, no, this is, this is, these are your Big Macs. You've got to take them. And I, if Tim wasn't there, I'd have took them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but Tim was like, you probably got the wrong address. I said, just leave him alone. Just eat the Big Macs. You know what? This would be easier. And we're West 301 West Pike Street, and they was going to 301 East Pike Street. Those people would have probably starved to death if it wasn't for Tim Ellis. <laughs> but listen, to deliver means this, to bring and hand over. That's half of the meaning of delivery. To bring and to hand over. That's half of the, member, the meaning of, of delivery. But it's not the whole meaning of delivery. Listen. The whole definition of delivery is this, to bring and hand over to the proper place. To the proper place. God wants to deliver you from hell and put you in heaven. He wants to deliver you from darkness and place you in that which is proper, the light. He wants to deliver you from death and place you in that which is proper, life everlasting, life more abundantly. That's who the Lord is. God rescues people. God saves people. And I know that you all watched the Super Bowl like everybody else did. And there was a commercial, a few commercials, that did what they were, it was supposed to do. It got absolutely everybody talking. And um, it was, a, uh, Jesus doesn't teach hate, 
but he um, washes feet. And at the end of it, um, he gets us is what it was called, the, is, is the, the motto of their, their thing. Last night I was watching a, a, a basketball game and they called a timeout. And on the, on the screen of the, of the board, it said, Jesus calls timeouts too. <laughs> he gets us. <laughs> I got tickled at that one. I really did. And people have seen that, and some people liked it, and some people didn't like it. And the whole idea, I think, of the guy who was doing it, the people who were doing it, was to get everybody talking, and man, did it work. It got really good people mad, and it got really bad people thinking about Jesus. And I mean, it just messed up everybody. And it's okay sometimes to, to do that. But if I had $14 million laying around, um, and I was going to make a commercial, which I probably wouldn't, but okay, I, if I was, what I think would be something even more special than he gets us would be even something more understanding is that he saves us. Because God, when he told Moses that I hear the people and, and I see the mess they're in, you know what? Jesus was tempted in, on how many counts? All of them. Every temptation you ever had, Jesus had that same temptation. And he was able to defeat that temptation. So he's able to say he gets us. And we understand that. And I'm thankful for that. But what would happen if, Jesus, if God would have said, Israel, I hear your, your troubles. And I see the sorrow. I get you. That would be nice. You know what I mean? That would be, that would be pleasant. But... That's not all he did. He delivered them out of that bondage. And he put them in the promised land. You know what Jesus is able to do today? Save us from our sins. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that he doesn't teach hate. I love that he washes feet. I love that he gets us. But I also love that he saves us. And what this world is standing in need of today is to be saved, delivered from where they're at to where they need to be by Jesus Christ. To move from death to life. And today, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon Jesus today and he will save you and he will give you everlasting life put your faith in Jesus stop unbelieving and start believing in Jesus today Lord God I'd ask that you would work on our hearts and I'm so thankful just as we started off this worship service that you're still rolling away stones that we were once blind but now that we can see we were once lost but now we can are found. Lord, I'm so thankful that you're still saving people. And Lord, for the one who is here today who has yet to believe, may they understand not only that you get us, but you'll save us from our sins. 
May, Lord, we repent of our sins and trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his precious name we do pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond this morning to the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. seated today and I hope that song that you sang did not make us a liar because when we say I surrender all you know what that means I surrender all um, and today what we need more than anything in this world is say yes to Jesus here I am here I am send me because this world needs me and you to be able to tell this world about a Lord and Savior and what he's done for them and that's that's the privilege we have today as born-again believer, believers to be commissioned to do that very thing. So when we leave God's house this morning, what are we doing? We're going out into the mission field, ready to have gospel conversations with people who need delivered from this world. And I'm so thankful that we have that privilege. So I'm asked the ushers come forward today. We got a bunch out with sickness. So if you're not a normal usher, you may want to be a, an usher this morning um, because we, we're going to have to have some, some extra help. But we're thankful for that. Kevin, I'm going to ask you to pray for us and ask God blessing over this today. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings you bestowed upon us. Father, let us go out into the mission field and proclaim your name, Father. We just thank you and keep, keep each and every one here safe as we travel home. And Father, we ask that you just take this offering and try to bless your people in some way, somehow. Amen. Amen. Real quick, Thursday night we took six, uh, six of us to a preaching um, uh, conference in Allen, Kentucky, in Prestonsburg, and they we, they learned a two-hour how to preach a sermon, and um, 
And really quick, just so you can have this with you, I want you to think about this. What do you know about your calling of God on your life today? What have you seen about your calling of God on your life today? What have you heard about your calling of God on your life today? And what are you going to say about your calling of God on your life today? Did you make that outline correctly? If so, just brag on your preacher to all these six guys who went. All right, so they, they know that that's how I've been preaching the whole entire time, so you get that. But when you take it home, the Bible says that we, we meditate upon these things and go home and meditate upon these things. And if you've not made a decision for Christ, I'm going to be the last one that leaves here today. And I, they've already turned me off. I'm going to be the last one that leaves. And, um, and you, I'll stay right here um, and, and, and minister to you in any way that you need to minister to. You stand with us as we um, close tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll be in the sanctuary talking more about this God's calling on our life. And then they'll have youth and children of ministry right here as well. So let's close with, the, with this song here. <laughs>